This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. In 1997, Marcy Reese was 27 years old, and she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. She had entered the ER as a healthy person and left with a diagnosis of an incurable disease, is how she describes it. Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease that is disabling, causes inflammation of the digestive tract that can lead to abdominal pain, severe diarrhea, weight loss, fatigue, and malnutrition. Marcy was ho hospitalized 160 times. 14 years later, she was stunned again, this time in a good way. She was informed that she had been misdiagnosed in 1997. It turns out she did not have Crohn's disease. Today, I'm delighted to have with us Dr. Marcy Reese. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you very much. So the first question I have is, um, you, went, you were hospitalized 160 times. So if you didn't have Crohn's disease, what did you have? My initial presentation was uh, an, a single episode of ischemia, which was secondary to like an adverse reaction to NSAIDs that I took, over-the-counter headache medication that I took for a headache, um, which caused a, a gastrointestinal bleed. Subsequent, subsequent to that, they gave me the diagnosis of Crohn's disease and started me on potent immunosuppressive therapy, which is the appropriate treatment for Crohn's disease, but not the appropriate treatment for a healthy person. And so, what was the result of that medication? So as a result of immunosuppression, uh, I was very susceptible to any. Uh, bacteria or virus that I came into contact with, and so I would get sick from those infections. And unfortunately, they attributed those illnesses to Crohn's disease versus to these other opportunistic infections. So what happened when you got correctly diagnosed? Did they just stop the medication? Was it the medication that was triggering all these problems? Yes. Yeah, so it was the it was the immunosuppression from the medication. I mean, that is the function of those therapies: is to immunosuppress uh, the body because inflammatory bowel disease is an autoimmune process. So you want to slow that down. Uh, in my case, since I didn't have an autoimmune process going on, it just suppressed my healthy immune system, making me unable to fight opportunistic infections. So. Yes, so the, the treatment for not having the disease was really just to stop all therapy. So uh, all of the medications were stopped uh, it sounds like sounds like a disaster. It, I mean, it like was a, a disaster. It, it was a bit of a horror story. And then it turns out that it changed your life completely because it led you to become an activist, and you started this well-known organization, uh, around IBD, which is Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center, and that's what you've been doing for at least 10 years, right? Yes. This is your organization. How common is this problem? So for the average listener out there right now, uh, is this something they should be worried about? It depends who the listener is. There are about 3 million Americans with inflammatory bowel disease, and that includes Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. So the numbers aren't particularly high, but they are increasing in, certainly increasing in the United States and in industrialized nations. Do Jews have a higher propensity? Yes, Ashkenazi Jews in particular, but yes, they do have a, a higher uh, it seems that they're at greater risk for inflammatory bowel and, disease. And look, this is a very sort of 
it's not an easy subject to talk about, right? You don't sit around the Shabbat table talking about bowel disease. Uh, <laughs> so h- how, do you, how do you deal with this? I think one of the greatest challenges of, uh, for patients who have this disease and their families is, that, is exactly what you've described. It's a difficulty in being able to talk about the symptoms because as soon as somebody says that they have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, the immediate question is, what is that? So that's a very hard question to answer when the answer involves diarrhea. So it's, it's not table talk. The symptoms are typically humiliating and therefore very isolating mm-hmm. for the individual. But the Ramba, Maimonides, always spoke about the importance of digestion, right? Sure. And it's sort of just a fundamental aspect of our bodies. You know, we, we talk a lot about politics and ideas and culture and all these things, which is wonderful. But here, this is a subject that's it's just as, as inner and, and real as it gets. This is how we digest our food, and it's so private, intimate, and it feels just crucially important. And it, it's so basic, as you're saying, to every human's function. Um, but unfortunately, we live in a society where uh, certain things are still taboo. And even though this is a very legitimate medical condition, it is still very difficult. Um, it's not sexy. It's not cool to talk about these types of symptoms in almost any setting. Give me an example, Marcy, of somebody you've helped through your organization. There's so many. I mean, we help children, we help adults, we help So let's take children, for example. Like, what's a uh, typical symptom, and what do you do? So we've had many children who present uh, either in the emergency room or... Uh, in the doctor's office with symptoms such as failure to thrive. So they haven't grown in the last year or they haven't grown in the last two years or they're exhibiting tremendous fatigue and are having difficulty uh, getting through the school day or they're manifesting joint pain or rashes. And, uh, and so they start to, especially in the pediatric setting, where the health concerns are not something that children typically worry about. And there is a great divide between children who grow up healthy and children who get these very serious health issues because their worries change. So a child who has inflammatory bowel disease who has uh, undergone invasive tests such as colonoscopies and CAT scans and, and has had labs and needles, those children start to develop what we would call grown-up worries and grown-up concerns. What are the side effects of the medications? And what's going to happen to me? And am I going to die? And many of these children have these uh, questions and concerns, and their healthy peers they can no longer relate to because their healthy peers are still worrying about homework and performing in school Mm -hmm. and the typical worries of a child. Right, and this is not the kind of problem... uh a doctor would identify at a regular checkup, is it? No, the only thing a pediatrician might recognize is the the failure to grow, right? The failure to thrive if the child isn't meeting their uh, growth requirements for the last year, um, they might notice. But it would be really something that the parent would bring to the attention uh, of the pediatrician. Right, and it's important here to distinguish between uh, inflammation and disease, correct? Because one of them is really serious that can lead to lethal 
results, which is what you're involved with. Correct. Right? The IBD. Correct. And then the other one is more... Irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable, so, right. So it's irritable as opposed to inflammatory. inflammatory. Inflammatory is really the danger zone. Correct. Talk about that. Correct. Well, irritable bowel syndrome is very, very common, and it's sort of a, a brain-gut connection uh, where it gets tricky as some of the symptoms overlap. So a patient with IBS versus inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, can have similar um, pain, urgency, diarrhea, bloating, um, but one does not it is not dangerous. Inflammatory bowel disease can be dangerous if it's not uh, addressed and treated. So let's say somebody's listening to this now and they're wondering if they might have IBD and uh, inflammatory. It's bowel it's hard to get those disease. straight. <laughs> inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, first of all, what kind of symptoms and what should they do? They should see their uh, gastroenterologist if they're having significant symptoms and symptoms that are in such as diarrhea, pain, weight loss, waking at night to use their bathroom, uh, to have a bowel movement. Um, those are the, the uh, diarrhea, bleeding. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we would be um, particularly concerned about and, and would warrant at least labs in the beginning of an investigation. And do you deal? I mean, give me an example of you dealing with uh, grown-ups, not kids, of somebody you've helped and what have you done? So similar to the children who are separated in certain ways now emotionally and psychologically from their healthy peers, adults face a similar challenge um, of isolation. So most of us as adults have multiple roles, right? We're we're spouses, we're employees, employers, we're... um, you know, we're functioning in many different settings in our robust worlds. Mm -hmm. So the challenge for someone with inflammatory bowel disease is where do I fit disease in? So someone with with IBD can end up having um, multiple hospitalizations and surgeries. So how then do I pay for these things? How do I tell my boss? Do I tell my boss? Am I going to get passed over for job opportunities if I disclose? Um, and if I disclose, what do I say? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many situations where we as an organization have advocated for the adult patient in the employment setting. Um, everything from employers not wanting their employees to take time off for things like infusions or doc- in a lot of the medications are infusion therapy. So for infusions or doctor's appointments or extended hospitalizations, this is challenging for an employer, but it's that much more challenging for the patient. So we do a lot of advocacy that way. Does it have any repercussions on mental health? Absolutely. So a disproportionate uh, number of IBD patients have anxiety and depression. We're really paying a lot of attention to that uh, now and increasingly over the years really understanding that there is uh, a real enmeshment between the emotional and the physical. And that's something that I think the IBD Support Foundation brought to gastroenterology. That was something that we pioneered of the integration of mental health into the medical care setting because we appreciated long ago how relevant the mental health component is in this context. Now, we often hear that um, if you eat well and you exercise and you take preventive uh, measures, that it really influences the health. Does that apply to IBD as well? I think that... Does what you eat make a difference? 
What you eat absolutely makes a difference uh, to your overall health and to your body. I don't, I don't think we know if there are uh, what the specific triggers are that actually initiate the disease process. But we always want to have someone who has IBD taking good care of themselves. Yeah, what do you suggest they eat and don't eat, stay away from? We like to avoid, you know, processed foods and chemicals. Um, it's a, it's very challenging. Uh, there is no one diet for the IBD patient, which mm. makes it very complicated and challenging. But we do know, and we're going to learn a whole lot more with the microbiome, that uh, diversity. What uh, is microbiome? The microbiome are the the gut flora mm. um, and the the bacteria that make up your insides, and we see that. Uh, patients with inflammatory bowel disease have less diversity in their microbiome. So we don't know exactly how to optimize that through food, but I think there's a lot of research going into that right now to see how we can um, increase our health through what we eat. And it's, how about you and your kids? What do you do with your kids to uh, well, to be honest, I, uh, I try to uh, give my kids organic food and m- really minimize the chemical content and the pesticide content. Um, I'm not sure I'm as successful on the sugar content. <laughs> my Who kids, is? My kids like sugar. Um, but certainly in terms of chemicals and processed foods, uh, I try and limit that and stick to organic where I can. Okay, so this is IBD. Now, what about Crohn's disease? Are you still involved with that? So Crohn's disease is this? inflammatory bowel disease. Okay, Crohn's so- disease and ulcerative colitis are the two primary forms of inflammatory bowel disease. So... It is, so the IBD is the overall. Correct. It's the, uh, uh, the the umbrella term. The umbrella term. And is there a cure? There is not a cure right now. Uh, for ulcerative colitis, uh, when we take out the colon, and some patients that becomes necessary when their colon is so diseased that we take it out, uh, that is considered a cure, but it's not a cure as maybe we would think about it in terms of being a, a complication-free cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with its own complexities. So there isn't really a cure to inflammatory bowel disease at this point. There are a lot of people looking at uh, at how we can prevent the disease from being triggered. We know now the genetics. Um, my brother was uh, my older brother was heavily involved with those discoveries of the genetics of inflammatory bowel disease, and um, we we know what. We know what uh, the hard wiring needs to be in order to initiate the disease, but we don't know what actually trips the switch. And there's a lot of research in that area now. Are there some ethical issues down the road with terms of what people can do with genetic manipulation? In terms of uh, if you test and you find out that you're a likely carrier? I don't think so in this specific uh, disease because there are many, many biomarkers for inflammatory bowel disease. If you think about genetically identical twins, it's roughly only 50% of both identical twins manifesting the disease. So they have the same genetics and only half of them get the disease. So we wouldn't be able to use that. So it's kind of like diabetes, right? It's something you have to manage. Correct. I see. I see. Very good. Now, when you look back on your life, and I keep thinking of 14 years and 160 hospital visits, just, it just gives me the, the shivers. It wasn't very much fun. Oh, my God. 14 years. Do you ever look back and, I mean, do you feel you've lost those 14 years? Absolutely. There's no question. Were you raising kids at the time? 
I was diagnosed pre-children, mm. um, and then I had three miracles. And uh, I was en route to med school when I was diagnosed. My father is a cardiologist with Crohn's disease. He was diagnosed at the end of med school and uh, actually for, for wrote his first set of uh, med school finals from the hospital post his initial bowel resection. So when they misdiagnosed you with Crohn's disease, you probably figured they're right because my father has it. Absolutely. Mm. And that's sort of what they hung their hat on as mm. well, family history. So uh, I didn't think that I could handle med school and being a mom and Managing a disease. And managing a disease. And so I redirected. I was also devastated uh, at the diagnosis. So I redirected and uh, did a master's in medical social work to figure out how to incorporate illness in a healthy way into my life. And that took me down the road of uh, really being the pioneer of integrated care, what we call integrated care, bringing mental health into the medical care setting. And while you were doing that, you were not feeling great. You were no. taking the wrong medication, which was triggering all these negative symptoms, correct? Correct. And I, I think that my work is what kept me alive uh, and doing good for patients and creating change in our healthcare system was really what gave me the motivation to keep going because 160, it was actually 162 hospital admissions was really tough. Oh, this is fascinating because you, you, you were misdiagnosed, you didn't know you were misdiagnosed, and you were going through such a difficult time psychologically that you figured um, other people who have Crohn's disease need help Correct. on how to manage it, even though you didn't really have it. So the, the misdiagnosis ended up creating a great idea for you. Well, it did, and uh, it was certainly uh, an interesting life journey, and you know everyone says, well, it was completely meant to be because no one who didn't have Crohn's disease created an IBD support foundation. Right, right. And then when you were finally misdiagnosed, and here you have an organization on your hands based around Crohn's disease, and then you find out you didn't have it, initially you were shocked, but then did you figure that you wouldn't have to change your organization in one way or another because of that? I did. Um, it was an unbelievable shock, and it took uh, quite some time to reacclimate. It was more than a third of my life uh, that I had been sick. Do you remember when, that day when you find out? Oh, was, absolutely. <laughs> which day, what, what time of day was it? It was the afternoon I had spent a week of testing down at UC San Diego, and the physician said to me, uh, Marcy, there's a really big picture we need to talk about. And I uh, assumed I was getting, you know, a death sentence. And I was very, very sick at the time, which is why I went to get a second opinion. And he said, there's simply no evidence to suggest you have ever had Crohn's disease. And the, the shock was quite overwhelming. I, I thought he was nuts. <laughs> That's the truth. I thought he was crazy. And he said, Marcy, you're strong and you're smart, and we're going to get through this. How long ago was this? That was 2011. 2011. That's only seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Did you take the first flight to Club Med? <laughs> uh, no, it took me several months to, to come out of drug withdrawal. So he stopped all the medication. I had a few months of really intense drug withdrawal, I, I think in combination with just true shock 
Um, it was very, very overwhelming. And then slowly I started to tell my family and my children and my father and my brother uh, and then my board of directors. And, and there was a whole world that needed to find out. And managing everyone else's emotions of shock and horror was very, very difficult. Um, about yeah, you, 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 li you lived a, a life of fake news. Yes, I, I really years. did. And that's how I felt. And I felt very much a fraud. It was very, very challenging. Um, what was the reaction? Other people's reactions? Yeah. Uh, it, w there was a broad range. My family was uh, some combination of devastated and elated at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mostly overjoyed that the hell was over. Uh, but at the same time, devastated because they had seen, I mean, I, I nearly died. And so they had seen what I had gone through. Um, and so they were so happy looking forward and devastated when they looked backwards. And so it was, it was uh, difficult that way. In terms of patience, the reaction also was all over the board because some people uh, desperately wanted it to be them. And they, you know, for me, the suffering came to an abrupt end. Mm. And for all of those patients, they're still suffering. And then some of them were terrified that I was going to stop my work. And I promised them that, you know, with this gift of health, I'm going to, you know, renew my efforts do and more. do even more. So you, you're uh, in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. You and I are both part of the Pico Robertson community. Do yeah. you encounter... A lot of people who ask you questions and are concerned that they might have it and they don't know what to do about it? A lot of times, yes. Mm -hmm. And and everywhere from shul to the supermarket, yes, I get a lot of questions. Do you have success in terms of getting them checked out? Have you had experiences where somebody checked it out and they found out they had it? Of course, mm -hmm. of course. And then what do they do? Uh, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are really... Um, manageable diseases in, in almost all cases. And so with the right care... When you say care, does that include medication? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. They need to be on medication. But with the right medication and the right um, treatment, uh, the right treatment plan, the right medical team, uh, patients do very, very well. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do feel a tremendous responsibility, in part because of what I was doing before I was cured, uh, and in part sub because of my experience, I do feel it's incredibly important to make sure patients get to the right care um, and, and see the right team. And what happens with somebody that does not have the disease, but they just have problem digesting, or like you said earlier, inflammation? What do you suggest for those people? Well, I'm not a fan of try a little of this and see if it helps you, which unfortunately I think uh, people... And usually that's Zantac or Tums. <laughs> well, Tums is a little is pretty benign, but, uh, but I, I don't like when people take um, prescription medications for a little while and see if it works. I mm -hmm. think the key is knowing what your diagnosis is and treating that thing. Because if we just take medication and we don't have the correct diagnosis, we're going to get all the side effects of the medication and none of the benefit. Because over the past few years, the word inflammatory has really percolated up on the radar and it's been spoken about and written about often as a real danger zone and cause of many health issues. Is that correct? Yes, I, I certainly right. think and, so. And, and this is just in the bowels, of, but it has 
a lot of other applications. So if you have a friend of yours who's got inflammatory bowels, what do you tell them they should do? Well, with inflammatory bowel disease, everybody re really needs to be properly evaluated and properly managed with mm -hmm. medication. Um, they're definitely... I meant irritable. Oh, Sorry, irritable bowel. I got my eyes confused. Irritable. I, I'm talking about the mainstream. So many people, me included, you know, have issues. You know, it could be constipation. It could be just digestion. It could be heartburn. I mean, the whole digestive tract right. feels so fundamental to good health, doesn't it? It really is. So there are uh, pharmacologic treatments for irritable bowel, but my personal preference and where I see success is really the uh, things that are um, things like cognitive behavioral therapy. What does uh, that mean? Relaxation techniques, mm -hmm. um, mental health therapy, learning to relax. We live in a very, very fast-paced, high-stress society, and many of us haven't learned to relax. And uh, I think there, are, uh, that concept of wellness is underappreciated. And I think we're learning to appreciate it more as we run into all these other health issues. Uh, but we don't spend the time, and many of us who are busy, successful professionals don't take the time and we sort of poo-poo that idea and that concept. Don't say poo-poo. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay. So we, we dismiss that idea, and uh, we dismiss that idea of wellness, and I think we really can't. We can't. Uh, we need to prioritize our health, and that includes our well-being, which is our mental health. Do you get cooperation from doctors? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a world-renowned medical advisory board, um, and I, I think, you know, I, I do take some of the credit for being a pioneer in getting the GI world to focus on mental health, um, but they are, and that's the reality. They and really the are. And medical doctors endorse that. They agree with you that mental health relaxation they, has a, an effect on the on the body. Absolutely, the they do now, and that just there's just increasing literature and data to prove it. Okay, so everybody who's listening, go to yoga class in the morning, and you'll have a better <laughs> digestive day. Uh, how about the the rabbis? I mean, you're part of the community. You go to Torah classes. Have the rabbis ever weighed in and commented on this? Well, I I think that my um, annual dinner is a dinner that might be the only one that rabbis from every spectrum, uh, from the most right to the most left, all come together um, because they know that with their in, within their own families and with their in, within their own communities, there are so many people suffering with this. Aha! Uh -huh, we finally found the key to Jewish unity. <laughs> Digestion. You know, it might just be. <laughs> wow. When's your dinner? Uh, we don't have one calendared right now, but that is the <laughs> that is the dinner that I think that everybody really does uh, attend, no matter where they are on the spectrum. You know, my foundation uh, takes care of Jews and non-Jews, and if you're Jewish anywhere on the spectrum, it really is irrelevant. The, the key is, you know, uh, everybody in that room suffers to some degree from IBD or its fallout. What's the uh, website if somebody wants to le learn more? www.ibdsf.org. And I just want to, uh, if I may, put a plug in. So uh, the IBD Support Foundation is partnering with Children's Hospital Los Angeles to launch a new pediatric IBD clinic in Santa Monica. 
and uh, we're going to have the best of the medical care and the best of the psychosocial and mental health support uh, at that site, and I'm really looking forward to making that happen. Well, I definitely uh, would like the Jewish Journal to attend your dinner. And now, let's talk about Donald Trump. Whoops, did I just say that? <laughs> that was a joke. Marcy Reese, thank you so much for coming in. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. See you soon. <laughs>